We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're going to get into some mailbag questions. I know we had a ton here already, and if you guys still have some questions, you want to feel free to start piling them in. Brian will be back momentarily, and we'll keep kind of working through working through some of these questions here. So first one, we had a super chat from Brock Fonville. Brock, thank you so much for the super chat. Question, how much can Ty Chang off um, – he throws elite. Wait, uh, oh, I'm sorry. How much can Tyler um, change the offense if, if he throws elite? I mean, elite, Brock. I mean, if Tyler Bucker comes out, he's throwing an elite level, right? A, a level that we haven't seen from a quarterback this season, but we haven't really seen from Tyler in the past either. I mean, if he's an elite thrower, then I really think the offense is unlimited to how good they can be, right? And I'm not even talking about this one-game sample size again. Going into next season – if Notre Dame is throwing at an elite level, let's say, and elite tells me that you're one of the top five teams in college football, right? Like that's elites, right? You have to be right at the top of the kind of that echelon with the run game that Notre Dame has with the offensive line that you're going to potentially be returning next year. I mean, you are going to have both your star offensive tackles back next year. You're going to have Zeke Correll at center again, and then you're going to have to figure out what the guard situation is, but you're going to potentially have an Andrew Christophe coming back. You're going to have a Billy Shroud. You're going to have Charles Jagasaw and guys like Selvin Absher and Sam Pendleton coming in in the 2023 recruiting class. So there's going to be options. Rocco Spindler, there's going to be a lot of options. And Ty Chan, which is originally what I thought this question said, are going to be you know potential options inside a guard for Notre Dame next year. So if Notre Dame is a team that goes from a inconsistent football team throwing the ball to a – more, to a more well-balanced team, then I don't think that you're going to see a tremendous spike in the efficiency of the offense and the point-per-game total. I mean, Notre Dame, last time I checked, was around the 31-point-per-game mark You know, throughout the, the later portion of the season. You have to think that that number is going to be buoyed tremendously if there is more of a balanced attack because, I mean, let's call it what it is, man. During the course of the season, even when they were playing their best ball against teams like Clemson, for instance, or Syracuse, Notre Dame had an inability to throw the football, obviously, and you still saw that they had some sort, some form of offensive success that was built off of the running game. 
And if you're now able to kind of counterbalance that with a better passing attack or elite passing attack, like this question says, then your offense is unstoppable. Because then you're talking about, oh, wow, we're going to load the box against Notre Dame because we don't want them to get their run game going. We don't want to get Audric Estime, Logan Diggs getting downhill, Chris Tyree working outside, like all those things. But then all of a sudden your quarterback, whether it is Tyler, or whether it is a grad transfer or Kenny Minchie or whoever it ends up being, are kind of dicing you apart, then, I mean, good luck. Wherever you go, the numbers are going to be wrong. So, I mean, if, if this offense is ever able to get to an elite level, passing attack-wise, then you're talking about endless possibilities, in my, in my opinion. But, uh, Brock, appreciate the question. We're going to move into, and again, keep throwing in those questions. We already have a bunch already, so let's keep working through. Coach Koch's question said, with all these transfers – does that increase the scholarship they can give out? Will those other transfers or high school kids? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, Brian, um... Well, the thing is, Ryan, they've... They've, I can't wait till signing day is over, dude. Um, <laughs> everything is good, uh, yes. but it's just you know, some calls you got to take. But, um, I think they've already accounted for a lot of those. I mean, the reason that we kept saying they were going to get to 27 because we've been saying 27 has been the number for us, Ryan, since the summer. And people mm-hmm. are like, I don't know if you can get to that, and I don't know if you can do it, you know. But it, there was always a, a level of there's going to be attrition. There's going to yes. be some kids that you're not bringing back. There's going to be some kids that naturally jump in the portal. It happens every year. And one of the frustrations with Brian Kelly was they wouldn't they wouldn't account for the natural attrition that happens. And right. so they'd always start by the season started there in the 70s scholarship wise, where you know last year Notre Dame went real close to like they were over 85, like right until fall camp started. And and so I, I think they've already Plan. That's one thing where I think we've seen an improvement from the recruiting operation. Mm-hmm. And, and what you have is you have the coaches that are hesitant to go past numbers because they look at things a certain way. 
And then you have someone like Chad Bowden and other people in the recruiting office that understand how this thing works. And so there's a healthy sort of push back and forth on the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think Coach or Chad's been able to, to kind of make it clear that, like, this is the number we need to be shooting for. And then as kids make decisions, then you're, okay, we're good to go. Right. Right. And so they've already accounted for a lot of this. And then some of the more attrition that will happen between now and when the portal ends in January. Because I think a buddy of mine was like, are you surprised that more kids didn't jump in the portal? I'm like, well, the portal is not closed. <laughs> He's like, well, I thought – because I think what happened was, Ryan, is everybody thought on day one everyone that was going to jump in the portal was going to jump in the portal. Right. If you're smart, you're doing some work behind the scenes first before you jump in the portal and don't have a home. And so, you know, and Notre Dame kids are smart. They're they're savvy kids. They come from savvy families, and more often than not. And so, um, I think that that is that is why you're not seeing this mass exodus. And honestly, between us, there's all of us. It's our little secret in this chat. There are some kids who who have some things they have to get. They would like to come back but there's some things that they've got to take care of first before they come back. And if they don't, then they'll jump in a portal later. And if they do, then they'll be back. So there's a lot of moving parts in that regard, Ryan. There's still some guys that have fifth and six year decisions to make, right? Justin Adam has a six year decision to make. They are counting on him being back as far as their numbers. If mm-hmm. he leaves, then you'd see a spot potentially open up. If sure. a, and I'm just, this is not something, this is no Intel. I'm using an example. Let's just say hypothetically a J.D. Bertrand or a Jack Kaiser decided to jump in the portal and go somewhere. Hypothetically, no intel. There, if it happens a week from now, I'm like, hey, remember when I said this a week ago? I really knew what was going on. It would be a coincidence, 100% coincidence. <laughs> but let's say they did. That's not a circumstance they are accounting for. That would then open up a spot for someone on the team that maybe they weren't going to have a spot for or another transfer or something else. And so I think those circumstances are the ones they haven't accounted for. They already accounted for not having Mike having they had already kind of given away Michael Mayer's scholarship like a long time ago. There was no thought of him coming back. I don't think they really had any thought of Isaiah Foskey coming back. Right. Like uh, Jarrett Patterson technically could come back next year. He's not going to. He's already accepted a senior bowl invite, I believe. Correct. Yes. So but the point is, that's not a kid they were accounting for coming back. That would involve them saying, hey, boy, we better, we better, we got to find a spot for him now, which would be easy because you'd say, okay, sorry, you don't have, you're not getting yours or we're not going to the portal or whatever. They would make it work. But the point is they've already accounted for him being gone Mm -hmm. is the point. And so uh, guys, like, I think the only, the only court, the only move that right now that I think changed the overall number was Drew Pine. Yes. I don't think that's necessarily one they expected, but I think they always knew it was a possibility mm-hmm. because that's part of the reason that they told him when they did. Marcus Freeman said this, and I'm glad he said it publicly because we had made this case when it happened is they told him when they did because they did want to tell him before the portal opened up. So mm-hmm. if he did want to make this decision, he'd have the ability to do so. Marcus Freeman said this on Saturday. I was glad he did. like, hey, we could have waited. We could have waited until it was too late for him to jump in the portal because, you know, for the bowl game. But we did. We decided to do it the right way and they did it the right way. Now, Drew may not have liked the decision. Right. And and the conclusion. But you can't you may argue that the decision was wrong, mm-hmm. but you can't argue that the way they, they did it was wrong, in my opinion. 
Agreed. It's it's the timing of it, the honesty of it. Those are things we all say we want from coaches, right? We want honesty. Be real with kids and then let the kids make the decisions that's best for them. And that's what yep. this Notre Dame staff is doing. And so some of the kids are kind of going through, okay, what is my decision going to be? Well, and then sometimes you have a kid like Kane Barong who they were not accounting for necessarily leaving. But I don't think it necessarily – every single specific kid, it's more of a, we think about eight kids, for example, or 10 kids are going to leave. And so we're accounting that in our numbers for high school kids. And then if certain kids come back, you weren't expecting what it does is it just takes away from your transfer portal numbers. It may take away from some of your fifth year walk on numbers, right. And those kind of things. And I think some of the guys leaving, what it does open up is it opens up a chance to bring back Michael Vincent for a sixth year on scholarship. You know, where maybe before you wouldn't have had room for him, but now you do because of certain things are happening. So I think it's more so those areas as opposed to high school. I think in high school, they already accounted for taking max of what they thought they were comfortable taking in this class. Yep. You can get to the next one, Ryan. You want to go ahead and cycle through those and then uh, yep. read those and then we'll kind of we'll kind of go through it. Yep. Sounds good. All right. So we're going to go now to Coach Koch back to back. Brian, he said, also, if Matt Salerno declares, does he get a UDFA gig, Andre the free agent gig? What is his role if he stays another year? Which do you think he should do? I mean, do you want me to hit, do you want me to hit the UDFA part and then talk about what his role would be next? I mean, let's, let's talk about his role first. Um, It's not so much about declaring. I mean, Matt's a, I believe Matt's a fifth year senior, right? It would be, wouldn't it be coming back for a sixth year? I believe. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. I would have no problem bringing Matt Salerno back if you have room for him. None. My only my only issue would be you can't bring him back in the same role he had this year. Mm-hmm. That needs to go to younger players. But I think Matt Salerno provides great value, experience, leadership, work ethic, character, a lot of things that are valuable to your football team. He doesn't mm-hmm. have the physical talent that the other kids do, but he would give you a buffer in case there is some massive injuries or if someone departs for whatever reason, uh, I think there's no disincentive to bringing him back other than my concern would be that they play him a lot. (laughs) That's my only concern, you know, and, but if, but look, Matt Salerno is a kid that is not a, he is not a hindrance to your football team. Mm -hmm. He is an aid to your football team. If your starting punter goes down or starting punt returner goes down, he can step in and field a punt. You know, if you're if you have injuries receiver, he can step in and and do some things for you. Mm-hmm. I see no issue bringing him back if he wants to come back, uh, because I think he could provide a lot of veteran leadership that they're just not going to have a lot of next year. I mean, if you think about it, Jaden Thomas, Lorenzo Styles, and Tobias, I mean, uh, um, Deion Coles are going to be the veterans at receiver next year. <laughs> Those kids don't have a ton of the guy uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Salerno could provide some of that lead, that that veteran leadership while the other kids provide the playmaking. I think there's a lot of value to that if they have room and if Matt was interested in it. He right. would just have to – I would have a very frank conversation of, look, you're probably not going to play as much as you did last year. That doesn't mean your value is any less. Mm-hmm. It just means your snaps are less. I, I, I don't think that kind of value can be dismissed when you consider how young this team is going to be next year, right? I, I, I right. really don't. I just – I don't know if it's going to happen – but that's my opinion on on what what he should do if and as far as what he should do, 
if he can come back for another year and play at Notre Dame and maybe get a second Masters or finish yes. a Masters or whatever else, that is absolutely what he should do because what you're about to answer, Ryan, is he's not an NFL football player. He's not. He's not. I mean, I was going to, Brian, exactly what I was going to say is that, look, man, if you are, have enjoyed being a Notre Dame football player and a student at Notre Dame, do it as long as you can if you're Matt Salerno, in my opinion, right? He's, look, I'm sure he'll give it a shot. So I'm sure he'll do some training. I'm sure he'll go to the pro day, do all that type of stuff, right? But the reality is, is that he's not an incredibly physically gifted football player. And we've talked about that a ton. I don't need to harp on that too much, but. I don't. I don't think he gets a UDFA opportunity. I. I mean, I just don't think that's in the cards for him. He's not a. He's just not an NFL player, and there's no fault at that. You could be a very successful football player for the role that you play for Notre Dame. You can be a very accomplished person from an academic perspective, and you can set yourself up for the rest of your life. But unfortunately, I just don't think NFL is in the cards for Matt Salerno, and it's nothing to be ashamed of because he's going to yeah. be a whole lot more successful than I ever will be, right, with just the education that he has. So it's kind of what we're looking at right now, but, you know, appreciate the question. But I, I agree, though, Brian. I think that if he can come back and he wants to come back and he can bring some leadership and some of those qualities that you can't really quantify all the time, Right. I would be completely open to it if it makes sense. Yeah. You just have to be honest with him to so he knows what he's walking into. So you don't promise yep. him something, and then he comes back, and you're not giving him that to him. And then all of a sudden, he becomes disgruntled, rightfully so, because every player that feels he was lied to should be disgruntled. right? Mm-hmm. That's why I transferred after my freshman year, and I started as a true freshman. But I was mm-hmm. lied to. I can never trust you. I can never look you in the guy eye and say, I'm going to I'm gonna work my tail off. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to sacrifice, make all these sacrifices to play for you who, who can't even be honest with me. Mm-hmm. Screw that. You know, so be right. honest with Matt. Let him know we have room for you. We'd like to bring you back. Here's what your role is going to be, though. We think there's a lot of value in it. You may not find it as valuable, but we think there's a lot of value. Like Michael Vincent coming back, right? He's a long snapper. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he's a veteran that's bought into what they're trying to do, right? They're, and, he, and he's really good at his role. There's value to that, even though it's not the sexy returner like a Mike linebacker, a receiver, a running back, or quarterback. Those kind of glue kids are important. Some of them are walk-ons. Some of them are not walk-ons. Yep. Some of them are just backups. They're scholarship kids that have accepted their role and say, hey, I can't help them on the field but I can help here. Mm-hmm. It's like Garrett Kubiak. Garrett Kubiak probably could have left the Broncos in his career and been a starter somewhere, but he saw value in being in that role and he brought great value, even though he didn't play. And I think that, that, that um, there are kids like that on this football team, if they're willing to buy into that role. Yep. And I think Matt Salerno could be one of those kids where he, he may not make a play next year, but you may hear a story late in the year where Jaden Greathouse makes this huge play and we're asking him after the game about certain things. He's like, you know, huge shout out to Matt Salerno who just took me under his wing and helped make sure that I knew this offense. And you, I could see a role like that for Matt Salerno. I really could. Yep. Now, he's sure. not helping you win games from what he's physically doing as much as that other part. And I'm telling you, man, as a former coach, if I had a receiver that I could trust to talk to the other receivers when I'm talking to these kids over here, man, you cannot under you cannot cannot dismiss how important that is and how rare that is. Mm-hmm. It's just most kids don't want to embrace that role, and that's what okay. makes Matt's situation potentially different. 
As long as he's you not know, taking away playing time from those older players, that's the only key. You you also need players that love the program too, yeah. right, Brian? Like that's important, man. I feel like we've lost a little bit of that with how easy it is now for players to transfer and just leave, right? And you know, chasing the bag, as people always say, right? But I, I mean, I do think that Matt Salerno might be one of those kids that just genuinely loves Notre Dame football, and you need those kids around your program because that exudes out everywhere. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree completely on that one. Wanted to go now to Patrick Bird, who had a question. He said, could a great bowl game out of Buckner keep one of the top quarterbacks from transferring? I don't think so, Ryan, because I think no. what the, the transfer quarterbacks, they already know that Tyler Buckner's a highly ranked kid. They already know that, from what I understand, the staff is being very honest with transfer quarterbacks, that you're not just being handed a job. We've got some pretty talented kids on our roster. You have to compete and beat them out. Mm-hmm. And so if it, I don't think it will, but here's the thing, if it does, that's a good thing because yeah. what it tells me is that kid's not coming here with the right mindset, mm-hmm. right? Like I, like Jack Cohn was not promised a starting job. Now I think Jack was smart enough to know that I can beat out Drew Pine and a true freshman, Tyler Buckner. I think he had enough, but the point is Jack had the confidence in himself to bet on himself and say, I can beat those guys out and take that job and do some really good stuff with it. Right. And I think if Notre Dame does get a grad transfer or transfer period, if that guy is concerned about Tyler Buckner having a good game in a bowl game, and that causes him to not want to come. Okay, fine. That tells me a lot about you. And do you have the competitive spirit that when we get in the fourth quarter of a playoff game against so-and-so, or we get in the fourth quarter of a home game against Ohio state, but we're on the road and and we're trying to beat Clemson in the fourth quarter and Cade Klubnik's dealing and I need you to deal. Do you have that competitive spirit that says, hey, I'm going to do this thing? That mm-hmm. would tell me a little something, to be honest with you. It I, I also think that the outcome of Tyler Buckner, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but whether he throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns or he struggles a little bit during this football game, I don't think that – like. Your, your mission, if you're Notre Dame, is exactly the same. Like You're trying to recruit the best possible quarterback that you can to come in and compete, regardless of what that situation and that outcome is from Tyler Buckner. So I don't think this is like a tiered approach, right? It's not like, oh, if Tyler Buckner does this good, we're going to go after this kid. If he does this good, we're going to go after this kid. Like It's not a tiered approach. I feel like Notre Dame is just, and rightfully so, trying to strengthen a position that is so important and make it a more talented position. So whether it is Tyler Buckner long-term or it is the transfer quarterback or it is Kenny Minchie or whatever, you're just trying to make that quarterback position more talented, right? Like that's kind of the end all be all. So, I I mean, to your point, Brian, we haven't heard anything that would tell us any different that they are not being honest with the kids that they're recruiting, that this isn't a, you know, your quarterback one from the day you step on campus, you're going to have to come in and earn it. So in that approach, I don't think that you're, I don't think that your understanding and your mission, if you're Notre Dame is going to change at all in that respect. So good question though, Patrick. I did, I did want to bring up a yes. super chat here, Ryan. I did, I did want to bring this up and I, um, from Tyler Evans says, I mm-hmm. want to send prayers to the Mike Leach family. Yes. I, didn't want to talk about that in the show because I I didn't know how to talk about it and I really felt like it would be I don't know I just since I don't cover Mississippi State and mm-hmm. I've never covered Coach Leach I I kind of felt how do you bring it up but Tyler mm-hmm. brought it up 
And I want to thank you for that. And of course, praying for Mike Leach's family, because it was very sudden. It was not expected. But uh, I do want to say that um, I don't love the air raid, Ryan. I love studying it. Mm -hmm. But what a fun personality he was and just a treasure for the game. Just such a different breed of coach than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. Um, He'll be missed. Yes. We missed. He changed the game a lot of ways. How Mummy may have introduced us to the air raid, yep. but it's the Mike Leach tree that has mm-hmm. impacted college football the way that yes. it has with the air raid. Well, I mean, I mean, two easy things to talk about, Brian, with Mike Leach is one, he's a pioneer, to your point, right? Like he that's he perfected it. How how mummy may have created it, but the air raid that we know today is Mike Leach. Like that's kind of where everything came from. That's where the tree began. And the other part is that. I mean, here are some of his stuff about marital advice at times. Right. Like post game interviews was hysterical. Listen, man. To, like, listen to him explain about why car why he loves cargo shorts so much. You know, I saw that tweet today. He's a character, you know, man. and yeah. But I, he's I'll, like I'll, when he's he's being serious though. That's the yes, like he, he he was he would be serious in a funny way. He's genuine, yeah, right? He's genuine. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I'll say it like I'll just say my my brief conversation about this because I, I tweeted about this a little bit earlier because I have a similar viewpoint that you do. I didn't know Mike Leach. I never had a conversation with Mike Leach. I never covered Mike Leach. Like I have no connection with Mike Leach at all, but this one really hit me hard this morning for some reason it did because I mean, obviously like it was very sudden for one, right? Like it's kind of shock. And I mean, the guy was 61 years old. So you never want anyone to lose a family member at such a young age. Like it just should not be a thing. Right. But also, I, I don't know if it's because it's close to the holidays or we're expecting another child or whatever it is. But I just started thinking about his family, you know, and just the, how difficult it is, especially at this time of year. Like it's difficult at any point in the right. year to lose a family member, but especially close to the holidays, so sudden. I don't know why, but it really got me sad this morning. It truly did. It was, ugh, man, it's just gut-wrenching. I, I just feel so bad for the Leach family, for everyone that got to know him. I mean, you're seeing the outpouring on Twitter of people that got an opportunity to coach with him or just know him generally, and he was a good guy, right? Like, he was a good person for the game. From everyone and, that I've ever talked to that did meet him, did know yeah. him, mm-hmm. that what you – because sometimes you'll see a coach – and the public persona is not who he is behind the scenes. Right. Yep. But talking to people that I know in the profession over the years, they're like, no, 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 that's genuine. Like, that's what why people like him so much. Cause like there is no public Mike Leach and private Mike Leach. There's just Mike Leach. And um that realness is something that people appreciate and respect. And and I think that's um you know, we, we need more guys like that. Right now, not with his quirkiness. I mean, just cause be yourself, right? Like that's just who yeah. he was. It wasn't like an act. That's just who he was. He was, <laughs> he's a different kind of cat. I mean, guy didn't play college football, you yeah. know, got a law degree before he got into coaching. Right. Just love the games. You know? Wild, man. Wild. Um, but uh, it's just, it's sad for the game. It is. It, and, and, and more importantly, you know, this is a sport. We love this sport. It's it's our livelihood. But he was he was not just the head football coach at the University of of um, excuse me Mississippi State University, right? Mm-hmm. He was also a, a husband. Yes, 
You know, he, he was, he was somebody's husband. He was a father. Yes. He was, you know, most likely an uncle, a, a son, a, a, you know, and that's the stuff that matters more is in 12 days before Christmas, you know, and unexpected, all of it. It's just, it's sad. And so let's, let's enjoy Mike Leach, the coach, but also to Tyler's point, which I love Tyler. Um, Cause that's who we are at our breakdown is let's make sure that tonight, like the, and not just be those people that say, Oh yeah, yeah I'm going to pray for you. This is a bad habit. I have People say, you know, I need prayer. Oh yeah. I'll pray for you. And then I don't actually do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that we actually follow through because that's a hurting family right now. Sure. Is. They didn't have a eight month battle with cancer to brace themselves for this. Mm-hmm. This happened suddenly and um, they're hurting and they could certainly use prayer for everyone. If you appreciated Mike Leach and what he did, then, you know, lift this family up today in your, and when you spend your time with God and I, I will certainly do the same. And uh, Tyler, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I honestly had no clue how to, bring that into today's show. I had no idea how to do that. And so I just wasn't because it would have seemed, I don't know. Like I get, it's like when Lewis Nix passed away, I had a hard time with that writing that story because and we get, we get make money off stories. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel right. So what I did was, is I, I um, didn't put a video in there. I turned off the ad revenue and all that. Cause it just, it felt dirty. Yeah profiting off of someone's loss Mm -hmm. and that's the struggle that i had bringing that into today's show myself Mm -hmm. and so i appreciate tyler you bringing it up but also bringing it up the way that you did which is lifting his family up in prayer man i really um really really appreciate that man very 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 much Mm -hmm. and also what makes it hard is the transitions to other things right no um Tavis McKay says thoughts on the new tight end depth chart for next year. I mean, obviously the, the only thing that really impacts it is the loss of came wrong impacts it, but as long as everybody's healthy, they should still be okay. I mean, you're going to have Mitchell Evans will be back to being health holding stays. I imagine Kevin Bauman will be healthy by next fall. Eli Raritan's the wild card, right? I don't know when he's going to be healthy with that knee injury again. I hope that they really take their time with him, but I do think, Cooper Flanagan is not a kid that we talk a lot about in the 2023 class because he's a tight end. He doesn't catch the ball a ton in high school. Mm-hmm. He, he's not a real socially engaged kid. He's not tweeting all the time. He's not, he's, and he's, he's, he's doing it. He's, he's not taking a million trips to other schools. We have to talk about him all the time. He's taken for granted in this class, but I'll say this, Ryan, and I'll kick it to you with this. Mm-hmm. I'll say what I think. And then if you, you can either agree or disagree or ask me further, further explanation. Mm-hmm. He to me is one of the five to eight kids that ha- that to me physically is most ready to play as a true freshman, and oh, yeah. so if there is a need for him, and then you combine that with playing against big time competition, I think Cooper Flanagan signing with Notre Dame is going to be a big part of that solidifying that depth chart until it gets fully healthy, because I think there's a chance he is the best blocker they have by the end of fall camp. Those are my three comments that I'll make about Cooper Flanagan and see kind of what you think about it. I think that the toughest transition sometimes, Brian, are two things for tight ends. One, it's the blocking game. Shouldn't be much of a difficult transition for Cooper Flanagan because he does a whole lot of it at De La Salle. For people that don't watch De La Salle out in Concord, California, like they are a triple option team. They are. They're going to run the ball. I mean, he actually ended up having over 500 yards receiving this year, which was a 
career high for him, which is a good number. But it's more I mean, than Isaiah Foskey had as their tight end, right? Yeah, I mean, he had – yeah, I mean, his final stats were like 29 catches for over 500 yards and three touchdowns. So he had some production in the passing game considering what offense he plays in. But the two toughest transitions are usually run blocking for tight ends, right, being able to do that work. I think Cooper's going to be able to come in because, again, he's 6'5", plus 240-plus pounds, and he's a strong kid. Like, he's going to be able to compete at least in the run game. And number two, Brian, is – a lot of kids, they come in and the lights are a little too bright early on, right? It's like, oh, big stage. I mean, is there a bigger stage in high school football than playing for the De La Salle Spartans? So like, There's a freaking movie about your high school, right? Exactly. So, exactly. I mean, right. he, and, and I love that you quantified it like this, right? He is not a social media guy. He is right. more, maybe the most respectful kid that I've talked to in this cycle. I mean, every time I talk to him, he's just like, Oh, thank you, Mr. Roberts. Thank you, Mr. Roberts. I'm just like, you don't have to call me Mr. Roberts. Like, it's all right, man. You can call me Ryan, but it's fine. You make uh, me feel as old as Brian. This is a good. <laughs> but he's just such a respectful, mature kid that comes from a great program. He's going to be ready to go, right? When he gets when he gets here in the spring and he leads into fall camp, he's going to be physically mature and ready to handle the run game responsibilities. And he's going to be mature in the sense that he's already played big time football. He knows what that means. He knows the expectations that come with that. So, I mean, I don't push back at all, Brian, because I expect Cooper Flanagan to compete for, I mean, at worst, some reps as a blocking tight end in year one. Like, I do expect him to do that. What will the passing game component look like? I mean, that's the question mark right now, right? I mean, he has the talent to do it, but I I think that one thing that people shouldn't be concerned about with Cooper Flanagan's transition is blocking. That's one thing that I think we we should expect early on in his career. And it, it may be needed because yes. I don't like Mitchell Evans is a is an okay blocker. I mean, he he was a guy that I expected to be a little bit more of a pass game threat than a blocking threat. It's just he kind of needed to be the blocker because nobody else could really do it. And and because they do have the two different positions, Michael, you're not gonna put Mayer there because that's a bit limiting on the different moving him around and doing some of those different things the way that they played a two tight end position. So you know, there's a chance that if 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 Cooper Flanagan can come in and provide be that second tight end as a blocker, that mm-hmm. that might then free you up to maybe then try to use Mitchell Evans in a different role. I don't know how well Mitchell Evans would fit that F position, which kind of goes back to the concern about it. But you know, maybe you 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 alter how those two positions go, and you have two more traditional guys, and then Mitchell Evans can be more of a pass game threat when you do go twelve personnel, but. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see, but if you need it, that if you need him to play, I think he could be a guy that could be ready to play and Agreed. and be a good blocker for you. And, you know, a play action weapon, much like George Takis was. I mean, that that's really the role that I think he fits best is how Notre Dame used George Takis is, is how I could see them using Cooper Flanagan, even early in his career, especially yep. with the numbers. So I think that's one where you, f- I feel a little bit better knowing that he's coming in because between Evans and and Holden Stace mm-hmm. you you will have I, I believe Davis Sherwood has another year left I believe, I believe so. yeah so you you you'd have him for some of the H back stuff if you need it the moving around stuff you you're gonna get potentially Kevin Bauman back if Raritan will come back at some point in time and then mm-hmm. there's Cooper Flanagan so I still feel like the numbers are gonna be okay and then of course they could always go the transfer portal route you know, like there's a couple tight ends on the market right now, right? We won't get into names, but there's a couple tight ends on the roster. They're like, that dude steps on campus and he's your best player the minute he steps foot on campus. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that's a position where they could attract somebody, you know, because of, I mean, it's kind of like, 
if you're a quarterback and Lincoln Riley wants you, it's going to be attractive, right? Sure. He's he's already produced what three Heisman Trophy winners and probably going to have three number one picks, and he hasn't been a coach that long. <laughs> I know. You know, well, that's kind of how it's like being a tight end in Notre Dame. Like, if you want to be a high draft pick, you may want to think about going to play for Notre Dame, right? <laughs> Same thing in the offensive line. So, you know, maybe they go that route as well. I would personally be open to the portal with the, all the injuries. I would be too. I just I don't know. Too. I hope he proves me wrong. I do because I like Mitchell Evans. He seems mm-hmm. like a good kid. I had a chance to meet his family last year at the Virginia Tech game. Super nice people, like super cool people. It just, I got to, but I also got to be honest in my evaluation. I don't see what the Notre Dame, the, I talked to some Notre Dame folks and some Notre Dame coaches, and they think that he's got day two talent. And he may. I just haven't seen that yet, partly because he's been injured a lot. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was, he was making the transition from quarterback to receiver to tight end. Then he got banged up, and we haven't seen a ton of him. I've seen him used a whole lot. I would say he's way ahead of schedule from where I thought he'd be. So that leaves me hope that he could become that, but I also can't assume he's going to be that because I haven't seen it yet. Sure. You know, and I hope he proves me wrong, but I just haven't seen that yet. And and if he is going to be that guy, is it going to be next year or does he need another year to bridge before he becomes that guy? That's a question that I do not have yep. a, an answer to Ryan. So mm-hmm. there you go. All right, so let's go now to Alex Rohr, who said, I would like to see the offense have a complete four-quarter game. We've seen them dominate in in portions of the game, then completely fall flat. We've also seen the scoreless in the first quarter way too many times this season. Yeah, I agree with you, Alex. I do. Um I, yeah, like, I, I, I didn't really feel like there was much to add to that. Like, well, yeah, I mean, yes, I agree. he nailed it. He nailed it. <laughs> yeah. It's been a frustration all season. Ryan, I'll take back. I'll take over uh, okay. getting questions back up. So gotcha. <clears throat> Gideon Rosa, I love tight ends, but not going to lie. Oh, we already we did that one earlier. Mm-hmm. David Lowe says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is a bowl win for Irish fans? Well, I can't speak for the rest of y'all. Y'all can give your opinion, right? For me, I mean, honestly, I think a bowl – I'm going to go 9 – I'm going to reserve 10 for a playoff game or a New Year's six or a national championship. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, it's a nine for me because of the momentum that I think you can gain from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's really important to to not only win, but I would even say maybe even win convincingly. I mean, a win is you, you get a win. It's a win. Right. But if you can kind of do what you've done in a lot of some of your other bowl games against teams that were not really quite on your level, I don't mean that with any, disrespect South Carolina because I would say right now South Carolina is a good football team mm-hmm. finished really strong they have some ugly losses on their stretch schedule too well so does Notre Dame they're different they lost to good teams by big margins Notre Dame lost to bad teams mm-hmm. so they kind of balance but I'm looking at it more so of they've just been really hit by guys not playing in the game combination mm-hmm. of injuries like Josh Van's not playing because of injury you've had a lot of guys opting out this is not a team that should be on Notre Dame's level come the bowl game because of all those departures. And so, uh, and, and that's no disrespect because I love what Shane Beamer is doing in South Carolina. I mean, I look, I'm a Virginia guy. So, you know, he's, he's Frank's kid. I'm, I'm rooting for Shane Beamer. Right. I mean, I hope he, I hope he does well. It's just, it's a game that Notre Dame should, if they're playing their game, win and, and win soundly, you know, 10 plus points. 
But if you do that, Ryan, you really get some big time momentum going to the offseason. It's an SEC win. We've talked about it, but it's more so about not even about beating South Carolina and bragging rights. Your record against the SEC is whatever it is and all that stuff. And because, like, I mean, Notre Dame's record against SEC teams not named Bama and Georgia, I think they're undefeated in the last decade. Right. I mean, they, they, they beat LSU twice. They beat mm-hmm. Vanderbilt. I think that's the only three we've seen so far, right, in the last decade. I mean, so um, I'm trying to think. There's, I feel like there's somebody else. But the the point is, is now you go out and beat South Carolina. It's just another SEC team that you get to play and beat. I think that's those are things you look at and say, hey, that, that that's some bragging rights. But I don't really care about that stuff as much. Mm-hmm. I care more about the momentum that this team would get going into the offseason, get their ninth win, you know, get the stink of the USC game behind you and go into this offseason with some positivity and especially offensively. So David, I'd go nine. I can't go 10 because it's not a new year six, a playoff, a title game, that kind of thing. Uh, it's not a huge name opponent, like an Ohio state, a Clemson with all due respect to South Carolina, but you know, you lost to one USC to end the regular season. I'd like to see him beat the other USC to in the whole season. That's what I would like yeah. to see. So it's very important I mean, to make that happen. I mean, my my knee response was eight eight to nine, somewhere in that ballpark, because a lot of the same things you said, Brian, and also I would say that you want to end year one under Marcus Freeman on a high notes, right? Like when you kind of put all those things together, I think it really matters. And I've talked a lot about the recruiting side of this conversation as well. I mean, South Carolina is one of those teams that is utilizing NIL in a completely different way than Notre Dame is. And we've talked about that a ton, right? So I think beating a team like that, I think does have some merit to development over pay for play, right? Like those types of things do matter, I think. So I think when you kind of put all those things together, I think that it is a very important matchup. I would say somewhere between eight and nine, I would accept either one, honestly. But I I do think that it's big for being Marcus Froon's first year, they, obviously, he lost the bowl game last year. If you want to put an asterisk next to that one, you can. But it would also be the first bowl game, bowl win under Coach. Where Rooney. it's his team, exactly right. his team, correct? Yeah. Yep. So you add yep. all those together. I, I do think that it's very important. There's no doubt about that. I want to bring this up, Brian. This is great. Gavin Harden says, "Getting married Saturday, guys. First of all, Gavin, congratulations. I getting married to Angela was one of the best things ever happened to me in my life." You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's it, it's been wonderful thing. If you find the right lady, was able to convince my fiance our wedding color should be green and gold, even though she doesn't know why. Go Irish. That's great. Now, wow. I I didn't even try to convince my wife to do that. But when we walked into the reception, we did play the Notre Dame fight song. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So we played uh, our song, like our song when we were dating was uh, No One by Alicia Keys. That was kind of our song. And mm-hmm. so when we actually got married and introduced, like we played that because you know me, man, I'm not going to have like the traditional wedding song. You know what I mean? Like I kind of have something that, you know, is more me and more us. So we played that. But then when we went to the uh, our wedding reception was a place called the Old Barn Out Back. That's literally the name of the place we had our reception. Uh, but when we walked in there, they played the Notre Dame fight song. Now, partially because I love it and she loved, you know, but also most of my family and friends that were there are Ohio State fans because mm. it's my fame. So I had to have a little bit of that. So we actually faked like a handoff and like threw the bouquet and all that. So she had some fun with it. So that's when, you know, I'm like, yeah, I got a winner. 
I, I, she gets me. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm just, I'm just so impressed by Gavin though. I can't believe he has that much pull in his relationship. I know, right? And he can pick the yeah, colors. Neither one of us are having any say over the colors of our weddings. That's you for know, darn sure. You know, what's funny is every time Caitlin asks me like, what color should we paint this wall? I always tell her my opinion. And then she says, does the complete opposite of what I said? Right. So, so I if you really want to Gavin, get what man. you want done, you give, you tell her, you tell her what you don't want the color to be. Well, no, I mean, I just started doing this when Caitlin starts to ask me that. I'm like, Caitlin, no, all due respect. And I actually mean that. I don't mean the all due respect is in I'm not listening to you type of all due respect. Right. But I mean, are we going to do anything that I pick? <laughs> so let's do what you want. Right. You know, happy, right. happy, happy wife. Something like, why else, are you right? even asking me? Like, <laughs> you know, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. I don't understand why. It's the world yeah. I live in, man. Now, yeah. now I'm going to be in a house of three women and a girl yeah. dog. So, I mean, my opinion doesn't matter for anything. Yeah. Uh, Arrow five two zero says, Brian, did you get did you get married in Lyme, Ohio? By chance, I did. So, I was actually born in Lyme, Ohio, and I lived there through middle school before I moved to Virginia. My mom's whole family lives in Ohio, lives in the Lima, Bluffton, that kind of area. Mm-hmm. So, wherever we got married. Her family lives all over. She has like no family like in the same city. My parents and my sister live in Virginia and my dad's family lives there, but it was more important that my mom's family be at the wedding. And we're like, well, your family's gonna have to travel no matter what. My parents will go wherever they need to go. So we decided to get married in Lima at the church that I, that, you know, I kind of grew up going to when I was a kid, uh, my grandma's church. And so, yeah, I did get married in Lima. So we got married in Lima on April 5th. And then we drove down to Cincinnati that night, stayed at a hotel in Cincinnati. And then the next day we went to see the Reds play the Phillies. We walked into the stadium. And as soon as I could see what was happening, like two pitches into us getting there, Griffey goes yard, which made me happy because that's my favorite player. And then we made a nice little few day trip to Denver. And then, um, yeah, so we didn't have a honeymoon at the time. We ended up going on a honeymoon later, which was a train wreck, uh, Barbados train wreck. But uh, anyway, so yeah, that's that's kind of that's how. But we started. It's all started in Lyme, Ohio. So yes, so people that recognize the old barn out back, uh, that's what gave it away. Uh, Rocket twenty five with a super chat. IB Nation, please continue thoughts and prayers for Ethan Johnson and family. He is still missing since October eighth. Yeah, I, somebody asked about that the other day, like what the status was, and I looked online and I couldn't find anything since like the fourteenth and the fifteenth of October when they first announced that he was missing. I haven't found anything, so I guess that's wild kind of good that you know there's at least they haven't found a a body yet. you know yeah, right, i hope right. that maybe he just kind of kind of his mind just maybe broke a little and he just wandered off somewhere you hope that that's the case because then he can be found and and hopefully helped so definitely continue it's, it's, continued it's prayers scary, for him man. and his family it it's really scary. is yeah it really really is let's go up here to uh, gavin KGD, this is a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, how big of an impact would a Gator Bowl win go for this young coaching staff? Would it be similar to the momentum Kelly gained after the Citrus Bowl win in 2017 over LSU? Because post-Citrus Bowl win, it led to five straight 10-plus one seasons and two playoff appearances. To me, Gavin, it, it's similar because I feel like momentum is a real – I've said this before. Momentum is a real thing. Momentum comes from confidence. Mm-hmm. confidence is what builds sustainability and that's what momentum is. It's being able to continue out playing out, executing out, doing whatever you need to do with a, a lot of confidence. So momentum is not like this. It's not like the force, 
right? Like you channel momentum and it goes, no, momentum is a byproduct of something else. I believe momentum is real, but it comes from, in my opinion, confidence. Confidence comes from success. Success then breeds more success. It's something I, I wholeheartedly believe in when it comes to sports, especially football, since that's the sport I know the most. And so I do think there's a lot of that. Now, where momentum is then tangible is then what do you use that momentum for? How do you get players to buy in more? You know, how do you use so momentum comes from confidence, but then you use that momentum and the energy that comes from it, Ryan, to to get your players to buy. Hey, look, when you do what we tell you to do, this is what happens. Right. Good things happen. You use it on the recruiting trail and then all of a sudden it bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. And now all of a sudden you're winning a lot of games. You can have a right idea and the, and the right things to do as a coach and you can know all the right buttons to push. But if your players don't buy in, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be successful. Right. That's why you see some coaches win at some places and not at others because mm-hmm. you're not getting the same kind of buy-in at the place that you're going to. The, the type of kid is different or, or sometimes things just don't go your way and you're not able to build that momentum. All those things are all part of it. Having said that, I think that it is big for them. And this is why we talk about it. This is why we said nine, I said nine earlier. Gavin. Now, again, I said that nine after Gavin put this question up. But Ryan, I I think this is big. They need something that can point to and say, guys, we won. What they end up winning? We won six of our last seven. Only loss was to a team that was a borderline playoff team in a game where their quarterback had to play out of his mind to beat us, right? And we were missing this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, right? We we are we are as good as we say we are. This mm-hmm. is validation of that. And that validation leads to buy-in. And then the buy-in leads to more commitment, more listening, less needing to – because there's a lot of kids that needed to – and this is why I think you're seeing some things happen this offseason. They they needed – they weren't necessarily the, – the buy-in wasn't there with Coach Freeman that you'd think. They loved him and respected him, but as soon as things didn't go well, well, Coach Kelly did it this way, and, well, Coach Kelly did it that way, and, well, this is what happens when you have a first-year coach. And – you know, Coach Freeman's, you know, you get all that stuff. It's natural, mm-hmm. especially when you have coaches that you don't know as well as you did the previous staff. And so I think it's big for that, Ryan, really big yeah. for that. But the, it also it's not the end all be all. You also need to start making some decisions with your staff, with recruiting that better yourself. You can't just be like what we saw in 2015 where, you know, Brian Kelly said, we just need to coach a little harder, play coach a little better and play a little harder. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You have flaws that need to be fixed and you have to be able to address those flaws. That's the second part of the momentum gaining this offseason is saying, okay, where were we really good? Where are we not good enough? And what can we do to change those? And it doesn't mean firing coaches all the time. And it, it sometimes it means, hey, we need to figure out a way to do this differently because what we did this year didn't work. I still believe in you as a coach, but we got to do it better. I think that's part of it as well. And obviously the end result here will go into the record of the 2022 season, and that'll be a part of that whole resume. But I've also kind of separated in my mind a little bit, Brian, without even knowing it, right? Like for me, this is a different entity than just 2022 season. This is a starting point to what this off season is going to look like and what year two is going to kind of transpire afterwards. So I have in my mind that, you're going to see a different identity. You're going to see a different football team in some instances. You're going to see some different personnel, obviously. And I think that this is a big opportunity to really get the offseason started right. We've already kind of concluded that whether you're eight and five or nine and four, it's a failure, right? Like you didn't get to where you wanted to go. You didn't make the playoffs. You're not competing for championships. It's 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 below the standard. 
But I think that when you kind of separate it and say, okay, 2022 was not a success, but this is the start of 2023 right now. We have a new section of practices that are relegated to this game. We basically have another spring practice kind of built in to leading back into our winter and into our spring. So I think I've kind of separated this in my mind. So for the question of how important it is, Gavin, again, I'll go back to the eight or nine. I think it's massive because obviously it's, it's going to just be a bowl game at the end of the day, right? But I think that this can be a springboard. I think this can be a propeller. Like this can be a big opportunity to lead into a massive offseason for Coach Freeman going from going from season full season number one to full season number two. I think this could be a really big momentum builder heading into the offseason. So I've just kind of separated those things in my mind. So I think that that's why that's just overall so important to end the year with a W. Ant VR says, if he does ball out, don't you think the staff will be under a lot of pressure to start Buckner next fall, regardless of how well the transfer plays in spring fall camp? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Look, the only pressure on this staff is to do what, make whatever decisions that need to be made for this team to compete for championship next year. That That's mm-hmm. the pressure. And if Tyler Buckner gives you that chance, then then you roll with it. Tyler Buckner is a very talented kid. That is possible that a transfer could come in and could beat him out. But no, Notre Dame's going to start the guy that gives them the best chance to win now. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Marcus Freeman has to establish very early on in his career that we'll do whatever it takes to compete for championships. This yeah. isn't a this isn't a a lifetime achievement award. You're going to be the guy because you put on the blood, sweat, and tears. If there's somebody else that gives us a better chance to, to win, then we, we're going to go, whether it's a true freshman, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a younger player that's passed you up, whatever the case may be, this is merit-based. And this is based on who gives us the best chance to, to compete for a championship. If it's Tyler Buckner, great. If it's a transfer, great. If it's Steve Angeli, great. If it's Kenny Minchie, great. I don't care. It's just whoever gives you the best chance to compete. And again, I don't think one game is going to be a thing that puts pressure on the staff to do anything. Mm-hmm. If Even if he plays poorly, if Tyler Buckner plays poorly in the bowl game and then outplays whoever comes in throughout the spring, throughout the summer, throughout the fall, then he's going to be the starting quarterback next year. If he plays well and the opposite happens, he won't be the starting quarterback next year. You can't make a decision based off such little data, especially when you could say, well, that means he played three games. He played okay in one, Ohio State. I actually think Tyler Buckner played okay that game. It was the mm-hmm. only only offense they had that game. It's like yeah. a, he played very poorly against Marshall. Yes. And if he played great in the bowl game, it's like, well, okay, we still don't know who you are. Right. But I think that's why the bowl game is important because it's just another little data point that you can kind of learn something about Tyler Buckner. Because I do think if he doesn't play well and and all things are equal between him and the transfer, you're going to say, well, this kid's – I've seen this other kid play really good football on game days. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Tyler do that as the guy. And that could be a thing that separates him. But then if all things are equal and you have this great game from Tyler, say, hey, you know what? He presents a higher ceiling – we saw what this offense can look like when he plays well. Let's go with him. So it's just a data point. It's not going to be a deciding data point unless everything else is like equal. And that rarely right. happens. That rarely happens. And, you and usually I mean, know. Brian, I mean, let's be honest too about this, right? Like you're, I mean, great point on the sample size thing, right? Like there's a, there's a situation and a real reality where even if Tyler Buckner balls out, doesn't mean that he's, the best quarterback on the roster when the next person comes in, right? Like that, that's where the competition stuff comes in to the conversation. I, and I think that that's kind of what 
Coach Freeman is trying to build from a philosophy perspective is that he, I mean, he preaches competition all the time. He does. And I don't think that you can go into the fall camp or, or sorry, to the spring and then into the fall with one quarterback out playing the other and just being like, nope, I'm just going to lean into that one game, that one great game that he had as the data points and moving forward. Like you have to play the best player. So I, I don't think that it's going to have any pertinence at all. I think it's a, Nice confidence builder for Tyler Buckner. I think it does make the staff feel better if Tyler Buckner does go into the offseason coming off of a great game because then you're like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, We had some questions on the health side of things, but we now know when we have things right around Tyler Buckner and he is healthy, he can ball out. And then we're bringing in another talented kid that gives us more options. I'm always about the options. I'm always yep. at the end of the day, every position, you're bringing in as much talent as possible because there's no guarantees in football. There's none. Yep. Sometimes guys are going to pan out. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's going to be injury concerns. Sometimes there's going to be off the field stuff. There's a lot of things that can kind of mess up an evaluation. And we've seen that both firsthand in a lot of instances, not even just Notre Dame related. So I think just trying to cover yourself and give yourself options is always the right thing to do. David Lowe with a question. Will all our corners be healthy for the bowl game? They will not because Cam Hart will not play in the bowl game. I do anticipate everybody else being healthy and being able to play, but Cam Hart yep. is, will not play. Yep. Mailbag from Gideon Rosa. Are we going to have the Friday free-for-all mailbags in the offseason? Yes. The schedule changes during the season, but they're going to be back sooner than you think, Gideon. They are. Very soon. So um, maybe – Maybe, well, we'll just tease it out. They'll be back sooner <laughs> than you think. Christopher Crosby, B. Ryan, now that Kane is in the portal and Eli's injuries, do you think Notre Dame will have to go to the portal for another tight end? I don't think they have to go to the portal for a tight end. Mm -hmm. This is kind of alludes to what we were discussing earlier, Christopher, is I think they they will at least be open to it if it's the right guy. Yes. I don't – and actually, we've done some digging on this. Mm -hmm. We – Let's just say this. We do not anticipate Notre Dame going into the portal for depth at tight end. They like the depth. The only way they'd go to the portal is if they find – and this is true at a lot of positions. Mm -hmm. If there's a guy out there that is a – is that dude is the best guy at this position the minute he steps foot on campus, and it's not really close – and sometimes it's because he's got more talent. Sometimes it's the it's the it's the experience where you know you may say, "Boy, I think Holden States can be a star," but he's probably not going to be that till twenty twenty four. We need a guy that can kind of be the guy this year, you know. Or you may think that about Mitchell Evans. I'm just using examples. Then you say, "Hey, look, this guy could be our dude day one," and then twenty twenty four, Mitchell, Eli, Holden, they can ballot out for that that. They'll be in a better position to battle it out for that job. Mitchell will be going to senior year. Holden and Eli will be going to their junior years, and you feel better about it. Mm -hmm. But it would have to be that kind of guy, I think. Uh, same thing like – I think Viper's that way. I don't I don't think Notre Dame's looking in the portal for just a depth piece at Viper. I, I don't. I think they're looking for a guy that can be an impact guy or let's see what we have, assuming Justin Adamiola comes back. Now, if he leaves, then all bets are off a little bit on that one. But, you know, like mm -hmm. linebacker. Is Notre Dame in the portal looking for a linebacker? No. If a dude wanted to come to Notre Dame, would they consider it? Yeah, I think they would. You know, I, I, that's just an example. I, I haven't been given intel on that. That's literally just an example. I feel like I got to clarify that because then there's people like hear that stuff and I'm like, oh wow, Driscoll saying that they're no, <laughs> saying hypothetically speaking, all, all the linebackers are transferring, right? Yes. Like running back, like okay, I love Notre Dame's running backs, but if Bijan Robinson was like, you know what, I don't want to go pro. Dream of mine was always playing <laughs> Notre Dame. You can say, no, nah, dude, we're good, man. Sorry. 
You know what I mean? No, you're like, okay, cool. Like, best running back in college football. Sure. We'll give it a shot. Are they looking for a running back in the portal? No, they're good. They have a really good running backs. Yes. Bill Walsh asks, will we see a trick play by the offense in this game? Probably. You usually see that in bowl games. And I'm okay with it. As long as it's smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't, I don't want a team to get too out of their, out of their identity though. It's sometimes because I feel like you could force that kind of stuff and, Honestly, I mean, we'll talk about this a lot more building up to the game, but I think Notre Dame has a lot of clear advantages in this game based upon who's potentially playing for South Carolina and who should be playing for Notre Dame. So I'm not opposed to the occasional trick play. I'm not. I think that creativity is an awesome thing for an offense. I just don't want it to get too cute, which I've had had some conversations about maybe things getting too cute at times. I like trick plays as being a part of what you do. I do. And you don't have to do them every game, but mm-hmm. look, I, I like knowing that I don't have to practice a reverse this week. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to know that we've, we've done it all year and we, we feel good about it. like things like that, like a toss play where you're running a reverse to Brayden Lindsay or Chris, that's, that's a trick play, but that to me, that's like, that's a smart play. You know, if, if you, if you see a look that you're, that's working for you. So those are the things like what I don't want to see is like a, you know, a, a, a toss reverse you know be throwback yeah yeah i don't want to see that i don't you know like you know or or pitch where you know flea flicker thing it's like okay guys now you're just getting a little bit too crazy you know but uh, annexation of puerto rico like i don't want to see like one like i I don't want to see like a halfback pass i don't love those those rarely work and how how about how about the fumble ruski where zeke carell picks the ball up and runs i don't want to see that i don't see that now, Mr. and Mrs. Carell may want to see that and watch Zeke like stiff arm a dude into the ground. I don't want to see that. I would love to see that. I would love to see a stiff arm a guy. Is that even legal anymore? I don't think that's legal anymore. I think as long as it touched the quarterback's hands yeah. first, right? Well, the fumble ruski the way that they did it in the past, I don't think it's yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Megan right. Kufro asks, just curious, if Tommy would have left with BK, who do you think Coach Freeman would have trusted hired to be his OC? I've always wondered that. Well, I know one guy he would have called would have been Brian Hartline. Mm-hmm. But I think another guy that he – I think Jamarcus Shepard might have been a guy that they would have looked at for that role. Um, uh, Jared Parker would have been a guy that they would have looked at for that role. Yeah. So um, Lance Taylor might have been a guy. Because remember, mm-hmm. Lance Taylor was still on the staff, I believe. Lance didn't leave until Freem- after Freeman was hired. Or, no, or am I thinking of McNulty? No, Lance I Taylor might have left early. Did he? I, I, let me look it up. I think I think McNulty definitely left after Lance. If I remember he definitely right. and he he definitely left um, after. Okay, so Louisville hired Lance Taylor on January sixteenth. Mm-hmm. So Lance was with Freeman for a while. He may have yeah. been a guy that they would have looked at too. I like Lance's mind. I do. How how about him with the Western Michigan head coaching yeah. job, man? Good for him. I hope it goes well. He seemed Absolutely. like a good dude to me. Good football think- coach. Western yeah. Michigan's one of those teams that in the MAC, like they they're kind of a cool team, you know what I mean? Yeah. So as long as if he's do got it right. things coming, exactly, yeah, exactly. So we've seen it. I mean, Tim Lester was good his first couple of years, and obviously we saw what PJ Fleck did over there, right? Yeah. So you know, yep, absolutely. All right, next question will be Mark Brown. Would you say that each running back needs to have seventy percent of the playbook? with uh, each centered on but not limited to plays that utilize their strengths. I'll, I'll t- playbook, I, honestly, I think running back is a position where you need to know the entire playbook. 
because your responsibilities are, are, are much less than a receiver, for example. You have a lot less route tree. I mean, I'm at, I'm advocating for five to seven run plays being in your playbook. They should all know all of those. Sure. And then there's different route. They should all know all of those. Now, you may not use them all, but I, I want a running back to know it all. I, I, I mm-hmm. fully expect that because it's just not the volume. It's one of the reasons we say running back is a position that freshmen can step into a little easier than another position because there isn't as much depth of knowledge that you need for it's it, more, right? More more specialization right. at the position, for sure. And it's more about your instinct and your talent than needing to know 87 different like you could run 50 different pass plays. He's got four protection options, no matter how many different pass plays you run. He just needs another protection call. That's it. Yep. Doesn't need to know the route combinations and all that other stuff. So, and you're a lot of times tagging his check down. Mm-hmm. Domer buzz says, how much did Tom Reese have to cut back his, his basic scheme to protect pine because there was no ready backup limit, long passes, QB runs, etc." I don't think the concern was as much about limiting him because of the backup quarterback, right? I think he felt that he had to limit it because he, Drew didn't show him that he could do some of the things that, that he felt comfortable doing. Right. I think we could maybe disagree with that at, at times, but I think that was more Drew's limitations as opposed to, because they would run Drew. I mean, mm-hmm. he would scramble and take off. I don't feel that they did things to protect him. I don't think that, like, for example, Domer Buzz saying, like, limit long passes. Well, what would be the, why would you limit long passes? Well, greater chance of being back, getting hit, you know, in the back, you know, having to scramble, get hit. I don't think they limited those things. I think they limited those things because they didn't feel comfortable with Drew executing them. 100%. And and I think that's more, more than anything. Yep. Different aisle, B. Ryan, do you think they called so much duo this year because they had to break the bad habit from last year where the backs were hesitant dancing around be, because there weren't holes? I, I mean, I, I think that how your offensive line is kind of built. A li- I mean, because we talked about this in the preseason, right, Brian? But Notre offensive line is massive, right? Like, I, I definitely understand the mindset of like, hey, in a duo concept where we're getting a lot more downhill, we want to be incredibly aggressive, right? Get some double teams and really work up to the second level. Like, I understand it, right? Because you have Joe Alt that's 317 you or 316. You have Jared Patterson that was up to 308. You had Zeke Carell that was up to 308. You had Josh Lug who was uh, 317 pounds or something like that. And then you have Blake Fisher who's – 326 or 327 in the preseason, right? So you have a massive offensive line. So I understand why the thought process goes to duo. I understand why power, those types of things. Like I understand why your thought process goes there. Cause I think that one, that's your offensive line is suited for that. Cause they're a big group. I just think that there was a little more, like, I, I think that there wasn't enough steering away from, I, I think that you were kind of painting players into a box a little bit is like my thing, right? Yes. The offensive line can run duo. They can run power, but they're also good athletes, right? Like Josh, Josh, I mean, Joe Walton, Blake Fisher, and those guys, they can run some outside zone. They can run some pin and pull stuff. I just think that there needs to be a little more diversity in the run game, but I understand why the thought process went to duo, went to downhill runs because you have a couple big backs. You have a really big and physical offensive line. I understand why it went there. I just think that maybe, it just got a little too complacent with the run game because there was some success, obviously, at a lot of points. Well, and to the specific question, I don't think duo is the only concept that you do that with. I mean, inside zone is an is a play where you want guys getting downhill, making your cuts. You don't want a lot of dancing on inside zone. You don't. It's one cut and go. Yes. Get on your get on your track. Get on your track. Get on your track. Get on your track. Bam! Hit the hole. Mm-hmm. Same with outside zone. I don't. None of those are are plays that necessarily 
you want a back to be. I don't want a back hesitant on an outside zone. And mm-hmm. I don't ever want a back hesitant. It's more of there's a patience involved with letting blocks set up that is a must for running backs. That's true yeah. of duo. I mean, you can't get downhill too fast before the read is, has happened, right? There's a timing yeah. mechanism involved in all runs, which is why footwork is so important. And that's what hurt counter. They never tied up the footwork, the timing mechanisms. Like, so for example, if you go back to the old power O that mm-hmm. Miami ran, they would run a jab step before the back would get downhill because they had to allow the blocking to get set up. Timing. The kick yeah. out and then the wrap had to get, because if you get downhill too quickly, you're running right into the back of that lineman and you can't make a read off of it. Same thing with inside zone. This is one of the things that I was first taught when I became a running backs coach in 02 at Muhlenberg was how important the footwork was on inside zone. Now we were an under center team, Ryan, right? So we were running from an eye, but like that we had an open cross plant go on our inside zone, because if it was just open and go, you were getting downhill too quickly. If you were too slow, if you took an extra step, then you were getting downhill too late. The timing of that. And then not just the, the open cross plant go, but you've got the timing of it, the rhythm of it. You can't be too slow with those three steps. You can't be too fast with those three steps. Those are things that you repeat because it's a timing mechanism. And so those are all part of it. So I, I don't think duo is the only call that gets you to do that. I think Ryan's point as far as do why they did duo is more important is it fit what they do with the line best. And it's also a play that I think Tommy likes because it's a big NFL play. I think that's the other part of it, if we're being honest. It's a right? big NFL play. Yeah. So. I think that's that's a that's it. And I think he's more influenced by NFL coaches than he is by college coaches. In my opinion, it's so funny, Brian. Even like five to seven years ago, there was barely a trace of duo in the NFL, and now it's just like what everyone does. Which NFL is so always has and always will be a copycat league. Yes, <laughs> always, 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 always. Mickey Butler, Brian, what formation do you want to see? Uh, what formation do you want to see when the bowl starts? I don't really care. I, I, I'm a believer in multiplicity from a formational standpoint, so I don't really care what they start with. I just want it to be an effective play call. What I would right. say, Mickey, I care more about is like the volume of certain formations throughout the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see a nice mix of two by two and three by one. I want to see some, em- you know, some healthy empty. I don't know if I would do a ton of empty in this game because that is going to naturally lead to the potential of Tyler Buckner running. But there are going to be some times where it's like, hey, we think we go empty. We can hit this shot. We think we can get an ISO with number three against a linebacker. Uh, you know, we'll sprint out Buckner in those instances where, you know, you you maybe even do like a quad look, so to speak, you know, where you kind of, you know, start off an empty, maybe motion the tight end across and quad, have him reach block and seal that edge and just sprint Tyler out. You know, and then that guy's basically your your C-gap blocker in, in, a, mm-hmm. in a sprint out type of look. There's a lot of things you can do. I want to see that, Mickey. I'm just, I'm, I'm never, I'm never a fan. You got to run the ball on play one. You got to pass on play one. You got to be an eleven or twelve or whatever. Run a play that allows you to get into a nice early rhythm and gain you some good positive yards. And if you think you got a shot to hit him on something on the first play, go for it. You know, we saw that to kick off the 2017 season. You know, I mean, Notre Dame came out. They everybody knew they're going to be a running team. And so what do they did? They do. They did a play action downfield post corner route to Equinemi St. Brown for almost a 50 yard gain quite a way to start the year, right? And if you can do something like that, go for it, right? They hit LSU for a play like that similar early in the game against against them. They took a shot very early in that game as well. So those are things I care more about is just getting yourself into a nice early rhythm and avoiding a negative. That's the word. That's what I hate. It's like, that's what I thought. Just funk the Stanford game all up from the very beginning. 
this coming out and getting that false start, and they just got it just like was funky from then on out, Ryan. Like it just got them yes. into a weird, just uh funky. They could never get out of that the whole thing. And so that's why I say funked it up early. You know what I mean? And and I want to see early success. I'm a big believer in early success. Because why? What why, Ryan? Again, it's what we talk about. What is it? It's it's confidence. Yes. You come out early, you have success, it's confidence. And if you have early success, then what happens on the other side of the ball? They start losing confidence. Mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. Funked it up. I like that a lot. Yeah, they I funked it up. That. Right? I might use that. <laughs> and that's not me not wanting to use the S word or the no, F word. That's a genuine, like, it You, you just it got you into a funky, got you out of got your funky, rhythm, got you into yeah. really just, and you couldn't get out of it, you know? Yeah. Just, that's what I it love means. it. I love it. Yeah. Two thing, two things that are going to drive Brian crazy: double tight power eye, first play of the game, um, or we can run some triple option. Either, either. All right, I'm getting Ryan out of here. <laughs> Ryan's been put on timeout for talking about the triple option. <laughs> All right, John A. One, did Lorenzo Styles hit his ceiling at Notre Dame at season start? It was thought he'd be a leader of the wide receiver. No way. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Styles has some issues mm-hmm. because here's the deal, John. If he hit a ceiling, then he would have looked like he did last year. Right. He didn't. He regressed. So it wasn't about ceiling. It was about there was other things going on that uh, uh, caused him to, you know, struggle. Andrew Radford, which wide receiver ends the bowl game? This is a predict. He's asking for a prediction, Ryan. Which receiver ends the bowl game as the leader in receptions, yards, and targets? I'm rocking with Deion Colsey, man. All of them? Yes, okay. all three. I think that this is the Deion Colsey breakout game. I think it is. we've seen a lot of nice stretches, a lot of really nice impact that he's had during the course of the later, later stages of the, of the year. And I'll be very honest, in the preseason, I did not give Deion nearly the credit that maybe he could have to be, a, to be that guy because he was injured. You just kind of weren't hearing a lot about him, right, for, for those types of reasons. But – He's shown me a lot of progress this year. So I think him and Tobias are both going to have an impact in this football game, but give me the Deion Colsey breakout game because I think that he's really starting to ascend to that guy, and I think that he can be that guy. I like Deion. I'd have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say one thing. Yes. Not a prediction, but a wish. Okay. Because of how much he sacrificed this year and because of how much he kept his mouth shut and just was the good soldier all season – I would love it if Braden Lindsay had like three catches for like 120 yards in the season. I'm not predicting it, Ryan. You made a prediction, and I'm with you on that. I could see that. I could see Dion doing that. You know, um, especially with with Tobias being out of the rotation so much. You know, I could see I could see that happening. I could see Jaden Thomas leading him in catches, Dion leading him in yards, something like that. I would just like to see Braden kind of get some couple big plays in this thing because of just what he did this year, and he would be more prone to having success in this offense based on what we saw last year. But if Lorenzo Styles is going to come back, it wouldn't kill him if he had some kind of positive momentum coming into the season either. But I I, I, I would hope just from a pure football building into next year standpoint, taking away my, my sort of, you know, the proclivity. Uh, just like I'm trying to think like, you know, just I like seeing kids who do things the right way get rewarded, right? So take yeah. out the emotional aspect of it, right? Take the mm-hmm. emotion. It's an emotional thing for me to say I want to see Brayden Lindsay do that, right? It's not gotcha. needed. It's not a prediction. It's just I'd love to see that kid end his career on a big on a on a, on a big note. I, I would love it. take the emotional aspect out of it. To me, 
I, I hope it's either Dion or Tobias mm-hmm. because it means because why? Because it would most likely mean that the things we're saying we want to see was the whole start of the show. What we want to see from the offense. If yep. Tobias and or Dion are one and even more importantly, one and two mm-hmm. or one and three with maybe Jaden being two, then mm-hmm. that tells me this team is leaning into what we think the strengths of the of the unit of the of the team are. Agreed. And that would be a good sign for me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan, I'll let you answer this one. You've watched him. I have not. Thoughts on Caleb Smith, the Virginia Tech transfer, who Notre Dame is looking at in the portal at wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, so he's he's not a guy that I've watched on the All-22 yet, but I did flip on just some highlights just to kind of see because I actually have a contact at Virginia Tech that I kind of you know just touch base with and just ask his opinion. And things that he said to me was that he's extremely long. He's 6'2", 222 pounds. I think when you see the plays that he was able to make for Virginia Tech this year. And I know he's had some injuries in his past, but plays he made were really nice contested catches down the field, some vertically oriented stuff where he's able to kind of manipulate his body and adjust his body in the air and appears to have really strong hands from from that regard. But the things that they told me were he's got incredible length, really good body control, and he's got sneaky speed is how they kind of portrayed it. So he's a little bit faster than maybe – you would think a guy that is 6'2", 222 pounds would be. So yeah. people at Virginia Tech appear that they were very high on Caleb Smith and they were wishing him best, which tells me anytime someone tells me that of a player that's transferred, that he was well-liked in that program. And I know he was a captain as well. So that's I think important. he's I think he's a good yeah. football player. I think he's a talented kid. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Notre Dame, obviously with him visiting this weekend. I, I want to point out something else about Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. That is why I get really nervous when I look at the quarterbacks like um, Michael Pratt, who I think is incredibly talented. When I hear people talk about Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina, say, boy, we've seen this before. We've seen guys who aren't very good at Power 5 schools go mm-hmm. to the AAC, dominate. Shane Bichelle, Tanner yeah. Mordecai, right, guys like that. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen like Grant Wells, who was pretty darn good at Marshall, you know, for a couple of years. Turn, he was always turnover prone, but very productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remain turnover prone and not productive in the ACC. Yeah, we saw Cameron Ward put up monster numbers at the FCS level, and he was okay at Washington State. It's like six point seven yards per attempt. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Bailey Zappies are the anomaly, but even him, he didn't go to a Power Five school. He went to mm-hmm. Western Kentucky. Group five, yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's a big jump. It really is a big jump. And so when you see the production at some of these some of these spots, you say, boy. I know the production is great, but mm-hmm. this hasn't been a common thing where you see kids go from that level. Like the guys that have transferred and been successful, it's Joe Burrow going from Ohio State to LSU, mm-hmm. Kyler Murray going from AM to Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts going from uh, Alabama to Oklahoma, Justin Fields going from Georgia to Ohio State. It hasn't been a lot of a kid going from 
smaller school to a bigger school. It just hasn't happened a ton. It's happened, but not a ton. Sure. Sure. Baker Mayfield is another transfer, but he went from Texas, Texas Tech, Tech to Oklahoma. I just yeah. get nervous about those guys that put up big numbers in bad leagues because we've seen the reverse. We've seen guys who weren't very good at the power five level go to mm-hmm. that level and rip it up. Sure. And I just, I get nervous about that, Ryan, when I start looking at, uh, you know, some of those guys who's, who's film, boy, there's a lot of good film from Mike, my Michael Pratt from a skill set standpoint. And mm-hmm. if he were to jump in a portal, look at Notre Dame, I'd be thrilled because the talent is obvious, but I just get sure. a little nervous when I look at, well, that's a big jump. And then you look at, how he did against you know power five teams and it was mixed results some good some not so good mm-hmm. you know like yeah he ripped up oklahoma but you struggled against kansas state who has a much better defense right so i get nervous about that it's like the austin reed kid at western kentucky oh look at the numbers yeah but look at the numbers bailey zappy put up the year before they're mm-hmm. way better you know i just you know i just i don't know it just makes me a little bit nervous but i i thought of that because you know caleb smith struggled because the quarterback position was terrible Yes, he well, did. I was one person who thought it was going to be good this year because I liked what I saw from Grant Wells at Marshall. You know, I was like, hey, if he can just limit the turnovers, this is a pretty good football player. But he couldn't limit the turnovers and he couldn't make the plays he made in the conference in conference USA. Yeah. That was rough for Jane Tech yeah. offensively this year, man. It was real tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess my thing too is if is if Grayson McCall was that dude, mm-hmm. would he be going to Notre Dame or would he be going to the NFL. Right. In a pretty weak was, quarterback class. That's my we, thing, Ryan. We, we talked a little bit about Grayson McCall yesterday because during the mailbag, he was, he, you know, made the trend. He made the decision to enter the portal. And he's mm-hmm. also, a, he comes from a very gimmicky offense yeah. too, which make that makes me even more nervous than maybe right. a couple other players because he, I mean, you want to talk about different terminologies and different systems, like going from coastal Carolina's offense to Notre Dame's would be yeah. a crazy shift. Yeah. Yeah, now he's he's very productive. He doesn't mm-hmm. turn the ball over a ton. I mean, he's really good at limiting turnovers. This but is. a lot of it, you've got to be able to figure out what is system driven and what is that guy's talent driven. And I've always felt, Ryan, you know this. You and I had this mm-hmm. conversation over the summer. I always felt like Grayson McCall's success was more scheme driven than it was that dude's really talented. Mm-hmm. And I just that's just kind of my my two cents on that. And they run like a – I said it yesterday, but they run like a bastardized triple option type of look. Like it's very odd, man. Very odd. Yeah. Yeah, we shall see. Let's go to the next question as we get closer to wrapping up here. Paul, I want to see 150 rushing yards in the second half after Tyler Buckner throws for 200 in the first half. I can take that, Paul. Man. I can Tyler, take that. Tyler Buckner comes out throws for 200-plus in the first half, man. They are going to kill South Carolina. <laughs> yep, kill them. Absolutely. Ugh. Johnny from the boot says, Brian and Ryan, I apologize if this was covered, but a website reported the offer to Northwestern DN commit Mason Robinson. How hard is Notre Dame pushing and what are your opinions on his talent? Uh, real quick. So first of all, uh, we mentioned that uh, Notre Dame was not going to really be a player there. They got in way too late. He has already flipped to Penn State. He's already committed Happened to Penn today. State. He was in Happy Valley uh, was it, this I weekend. thought it was yesterday. I thought it was he yesterday? yesterday. Yeah, but I, he's saw, I saw it across yeah. the timeline today. So, and that's what I was told by my sources. They're like, "Yeah, we offered him, but he's going to Penn State." So, mm-hmm. uh, they, if they wanted to get in, they should. I, to me, I wouldn't have even offered. I just would have. If you got in this late, like, what's the point? Yeah. Uh, so, I really, but uh, I, I didn't really love his film either. I watched him. He's day. got a nice like, burst, Ryan. I think he's got a really good first step, but he's just a, a little bit awkward athletically. Yeah. Like his lateral quickness, he gets like off balance real quickly laterally, but he's got a really nice first step. Like they're taking a chance on being able to teach the other parts, but he's mm-hmm. got a little bit of just 
off the line. Yeah. It's just that's it, though, right? Yes. Like that's what he's got. That's like not a great mm-hmm. feel. He's a he's yeah. a low floor, high ceiling kid, in my opinion. And I don't know if that necessarily moves the needle for Notre Dame. They need a more right. of a high floor kid. They've got plenty of the high low floor, high ceiling kids. It's called Josh yes. Burnham. It's called Aiden Gobiron. It's called Jordan Patelho. They got plenty of that coming in, right? They got plenty of that. Bubakar, Traore. They got plenty of that. They need some high floor guys as well. Did you see? Um, by the way, did you see Bubakar's picture with Marcus Freeman and Al Golden yeah. the other day? My guy is yeah. massive, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you dude. know what? I got a I got sent a picture of um of uh Preston Zinter as well. Oh, he's he's big Golden. kid too, man. He's, he's grown. Yeah, he's grown. He's he got might a be a viper. Taller. He might be a viper. Yeah. He might be. Yeah, but Which Bubakar, man. Bubakar's gotten kid, tall. Man. He's yes. gotten tall. You can see the down. length even just standing there in like normal clothes yeah. and just like yeesh, man. Yeah. Yeesh. Real broad shoulders. You're like, wow, yes. this cat uh because Al Washington's like six one, six two, yes. and, and he yeah, he he yeah, he towers over him. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with Armel Mukum the other day. I saw his picture. I'm like, my guy is long. There's man. bringing in some length, man. Now we will never <laughs> see pictures are. of Brendan Vernon because he just doesn't do that. Yeah, but he's another really big kid. Yes, he is. Let manager one. What are your thoughts on Alabama losing so many wide receivers to the transfer portal? Uh, there's there's something to miss there, Ryan, because they are losing dudes that can play. And the whole offense too. It's not even just wide receivers. Yeah. Like they're losing a lot of offensive linemen yeah. too. And it's, they're it's losing weird. dudes that can play. I got a feeling yeah. that that uh, a lot of kids at Bama are are coming to have the same appreciation for uh, Bill O'Brien that I have. It's <laughs> not that much. Has, of that has to be it because everyone started saying like, "Oh, is." Saban retiring or something like that. I'm like, no. I think this is a Bill O'Brien thing. That's yeah. what I think it is. Yeah, because it's not like Alabama's even bringing in like this. Oh my gosh, this elite wide receiver core, and mm-hmm. these kids are going to come in and take all their jobs. They're, they did that last year, and yeah. they're already losing guys from that class. You yeah, know, I mean, Jojo early already left. That's what I was going to say. Jojo left. The uh, Treshawn Holden kid left. And those kids played a lot. Like, yeah. It's not like they were just bar- – yeah. like the Anderson kid that just transferred. Like he barely played, right, this, right. his first year. Those guys, they played, which is right. crazy. So, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, Jalen Hale comes in and, mm-hmm. and the Cole Adams kid who I think is overrated. I think he's only ranked yeah. where he is because he's committed to Bama. I watch that kid's <laughs> film. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yes. Like rivals has him as a as the number one eighty four player in the country. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Like, you're gonna have that kid ranked ahead of like it, I watched that kid's film and Caleb Smith film. And it's not even close. I agree me. with you. It's on not that. Even close. I agree with you. I agree. I'm close. He's he's higher rated than Jaden Greathouse, man. Yeah, why? By some people, yeah. By some people, yeah. It it's because he's it's why he's committed to Alabama. It's the only, if that kid commits to Oklahoma State, he's not even a four star. That's true. It's the truth because he's from Oklahoma. He's a nice player. His, That's his, it. His numbers aren't even very no. impressive, right? Like production-wise. No. Like yeah. 5'10". He's yeah. quick, but he's not real fast. He yeah. doesn't have great numbers. He's not like doing cr- – like Ryan Switzer had insane high school highlight film. Yes. Like he and, was like – one okay. of the best punt returners ever. So. Yes. Like you'd see that kid's <laughs> like, okay, I know that you got to drop his ranking a little bit because, yeah. you know, because he's small. But like, mm-hmm. yo, that dude had some insane – insane yes. high school film this kid yes. doesn't even have a great high school film like you'd expect a kid that small to just be you know super electric and lighten people up yep. i'm like you know, bro like ryan switzer was a three-star recruit and that kid had way better film coming out of high school <laughs> than that kid had no doubt so i did not get that one at all 
All right, let's get down to a couple. So I'll get to some team questions, Ryan, while you do that. This might be a Brian Ryan question. Not sure why Brady didn't translate. I thought he was a can't-miss prospect. I think number one, he always had a little bit of a long release. He wasn't a super accurate quarterback, and he went to the Browns. I I really believe for a long time that's where quarterbacks want to die. I, I really think that's a big part of it. I do. I do. Let's see here. Got to some more as we get out of here. Um, Robert Bishop says, do you guys think Dante Moore will flip to UCLA? I honestly, Robert, don't know. Ryan and I have not followed his recruitment from the standpoint of reaching out to sources. I don't know if he will or won't. I could see it. I mean, it would make sense. And it's one of those flips that you could see happening because of the offseason turnover that happens on staffs. You know, the guy that he wanted to play for, the OC, the quarterback's coach that he really liked and connected with, Kenny Dillingham, left for Arizona State. I think that opened things up a little bit, but I mean, I mean, I think he'd be a nice fit at UCLA. I mean, I'll just say this: y'all know that I absolutely love Dante Moore's talent. I mean, he he to me was my top quarterback in the class coming into senior. He will not finish as my number one quarterback because I just have seen too many other red flags. And as much as I love the kid's talent and ability to throw a football, he throws as pretty of a football as anybody in the class. I'll just leave it this way. I'm I'm content and happy with the way it turned out for Notre Dame. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't wish ill on the kid because I think he's a good kid. I just I think you got to have a little bit. You got to have some some stones to be a great quarterback. No doubt. And I just question if he has those. In my mm-hmm. opinion. So yeah. Let's see, Ryan. Uh, John A1, Ryan, where's the best landing spot for Michael Mayer, Jarrett Patterson, and Isaiah Foskey in the NFL draft? My Panthers need Mayer in so many ways. So he's trying to he's trying to put uh, Mayer and Tommy Trumbull together. How's Trumbull doing for the Panthers? Is he doing anything? Yeah. Not too great. Yeah. Not too great, yeah. unfortunately. Um, that's a, it, John, honestly, that's, a, that's an interesting one, though. The Panthers would – the problem is the Panthers also need a quarterback. <laughs> need what, let's let's just let's just, we, we're running out of time, Ryan. So let's just yeah. focus on the things the Panthers don't need. That'll be a lot quicker conversation at this point. <laughs> sure would, man. It sure would. I'll say this though: the other on the other side of Brian Burns, maybe a, a Isaiah Foskey might be pretty fun. If we're being honest, though, for that one, they could always use more offensive. I mean, every team in the NFL could use offensive line help. So I don't even know how you quantify Jared Patterson, right? It's like what NFL team needs a solid interior offensive lineman that could maybe start or at least be a really quality backup to back up multiple positions. I think any NFL team needs that, John, like no hyperbole. For Michael Mayer, I've seen the Arizona Cardinals as one because I know Zach Ertz is kind of banged up a little bit and, you know, the kind of maybe the passing of the mantle would be an interesting one. I've seen the Houston Texans as a team that have been kind of thrown out there with Michael Mayer. So we'll learn a lot more, obviously, as we see what the finalized draft order is going to look like. But, I mean, someone asked me this other day. Like, I I think Michael Mayer is going to end up being a top 20-ish player in this class – or top 20 pick in this class. I mean, he's honestly a top 5 to 10 player in this class. But it's the, you know, is he going to run a fast 40? All like those people. But he's a fantastic player, and there's a lot of teams in the NFL right now. Back to using Michael Mayer, I even think of like the Los Angeles Chargers with the Justin Herbert as the quarterback. I mean, they've kind of have not really figured it out at the tight end position. So there's a lot of teams I think could use Michael Mayer. Yeah. Ryan, I don't know if you saw the comment from Mark Brown about the triple option being put in timeout. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I've checked that one out. 
awesome. Jason Smith said, if Ohio State has a poor showing, does day does days Ryan Day's seat heat up some? I, I think it does, Ryan. It's up a little bit. Yeah, I think it does. I think it's already warming up. I mean, well, let, let's let's look at it this way. Mm-hmm. It, does it get hot from a fan standpoint? Already done. That's already there. Sure. They lost to sure. Michigan twice. Fans are already like, nice, nah, you know. So there's already that irrational part of the fan base. The same type of the same irrational part of the Ohio State fan base that's similar to the irrational side of the Notre Dame fan base that wanted to fire Marcus Freeman after two games, right? Mm-hmm. Like every fan base has that irrational side. Mm-hmm. Take that side out. I don't think Ryan Day is on the hot seat yet. Mm-hmm. I do think a poor showing in this in the playoff would put him there. Right. Like if, if it looks like the gap is clearly wide, because here's the deal. You could say, okay, they won the playoff game against Ohio State or against Clemson. Great. Blew Clemson out. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of got to look and see what have they done in their other playoff games since he took over, right? You lost to Clemson in 19 in a close game. And then you, you know, you beat beat Clemson in a rematch the next year. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. But then you went out and got blasted by Ohio State or by Alabama. You have now gotten curb stomped twice by Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then you go get smashed by Georgia because he said poor showing. To me, a poor showing isn't you lose by a field goal reminiscent of 2017 Georgia, uh, Oklahoma. That's not a sure. poor showing. Losing mm-hmm. doesn't equal poor showing. Poor showing is you get your butt kicked like Urban Meyer did in 2016 against Clemson. Would you get agree whips. with that? Yep, get whips. Yep. You know, looking like you did against Michigan. So you can now mm-hmm. argue that you're like in your four big games since you beat Clemson, you've gotten smacked. And I don't think the game against Utah last year in the Rose Bowl was a very good showing. That was a no. depleted, beat-up Utah team, and they still almost beat you. Yeah, like Their indeed. running their back would go score a touchdown ball. and then go play corner on the very next series, <laughs> right. right? I mean, that was that was not a good showing. And, and his team has – and even the Penn State game this year where they won, that was not a good showing. They did mm-hmm. not look good. And so we kept thinking, no, no, they're just waiting on the Michigan game. They're – they're just overlooking everything. They're just so keyed in on Michigan. And then they get to the Michigan game, and it's like, nope, that's just who they were. That's mm-hmm. just who they were, an uninspired football team that doesn't maximize its talent. That's what they've been. He needs them to come out against Georgia and play very well, even if it's a really? loss. It's yeah. got to be they were just better than us, but our kids played their butts off and were really close. Mm-hmm. If it's not – then you got to ask yourself, you've been recruiting top classes every year. Yep. Every year, Ohio State has top classes. And if they're if they're going out there and you're saying in your last four games against big-time opponents, because have they played anybody in between them that's been a would be considered a big-time opponent? They're not Notre Dame. So. Okay. You had yeah. a you had a good one over Notre Dame. We'll say that. Uh-huh. Okay. But other than that, for the most part, you've got your butt kicked in every big game. And you're a team that has been a top three recruiting class almost every year. Your 22 class is ranked fourth. Your 21 class is ranked second. Your 2020 class is ranked fifth. Your 2019 class was ranked. Where was that one ranked? Oh, that was a really small class. They only signed uh, 17 kids. They ranked 14th, but they were way up there in, in star ranking. They were like in the top three or four in like average star ranking. It's like you're recruiting top five classes every year. And you're getting your butt kicked by those other top programs and Michigan, who has not been recruiting well recently at all. I at think, all. I think then all of a sudden his seat starts warming up from the people that matter. Right. But it's not right now. Well, yeah. I mean, I agree with that, Brian. And I would say this 
it's a tough matchup against Georgia. It is. Georgia's a really talented team, obviously. But, I mean, is there a question that who the second most talented team in the playoffs is this year, just from a pure talent level perspective? Like Ohio State, I mean, is easily, right? Like, it's not even close. Easily second? Easily second, yeah. Right. I could make a case. I could make a they better be case if they're number one than they're third. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not saying yeah. I would definitely say that. Mm-hmm. But, look, who has the more talented quarterback? Who yep. has the most talented running back on the field? I would argue Ohio State. Who has mm-hmm. the more talented wide receivers? Who has the offensive tackles that are going to get drafted the highest? Yeah, right. You're not wrong. You're not now, wrong. Georgia has one defensive lineman that's going to get drafted super high. But I would mm-hmm. argue if we're talking about where each guy's going to get drafted, I would argue that Ohio State has the next three highest ranked draft picks on the D line. They're, yep. they're not all going to be this year because some of them are ineligible, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yep. Um, secondary, that's where Georgia, I think, has an edge. But other yes. than that, I mean, are there a lot of positions, Ryan, linebacker and secondary, that you would say Georgia has more talent than Ohio State right now? Mm-hmm. I say right now, Georgia's is a way better coached football team. That's what Georgia's well, right. Now. I mean, and, and you've seen that against Michigan the last two years, right? Michigan was yeah. the better coached football team. Was Michigan more talented than Ohio State? Absolutely not. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if we're being like, again, you can do the same thing you just did with Georgia, right? I mean, who has the more talented quarterback? Who's had the more talented receivers? Who has the better off? Like, well, maybe not better offensive line because they. Michigan's plays is a better unit than Ohio right. State, but who has the more God-given talent? I, I, Ohio, Ohio State, State will have at least two kids from their line get drafted higher than probably anybody that Michigan has. Oh, no doubt. Right? No doubt. Yeah. I mean, Par- even... Paris Johnson is probably going to be a top 10 to 15 pick from what I'm seeing, right, Ryan, in this upcoming yeah. draft? He's he's definitely going to be a first-round I'm pick. I'm seeing people put Dewan Jones in the first round of mock drafts. Yeah. Now, I think that's a little nuts, but, yeah. you know. I think he's more of a, t- a top 50 to 75 type of guy. But still, but that's, yeah. I mean, who's the highest? Who, who, the center and Zach, Zach Zinter probably too high. Z- Zinter right? probably goes before Olu just because of size and all right. that stuff. But like, so, is Ryan yeah. Harris going to be a top 50 pick? I don't see that. No, Do you? no, not at all. He's a day three right? player. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. It's just their coach better and they're more physical. That's the difference. And, and even after losing guys like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, they're still able to get enough out of guys like Mike Morris, for instance, mm-hmm. right? And the Mozzie Smiths of the world. Like that's because last year with those two kids plus Dax Hill, mm-hmm. you could argue that Michigan had enough high end talent that, that they could, you could say, okay, they matched up well against Ohio State because of those mm-hmm. high end players. Those guys are all gone and they were not replaced by similar players. Mm-hmm. It's not like Ohio State losing Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson or replacing them with Marvin Harrison Jr. And a Mecca Egbuko, right? That's yes. that's like great player leaves, great player steps in. There's a big drop off in God given ability between David Ajabo and Hayden Hutchison and the guys that replaced them this year. Yeah. Same with Dax Hill. Mm-hmm. The, didn't Dax Hill get replaced by a converted receiver? No, he didn't play that position. He played corner. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was not the same kind of talent, right? Yeah. And that's my point is, but it, they're coached incredibly well, they play hard. They play physical. They play focused. They're fundamentally sound. Ohio State is none of those things. They were mm-hmm. all talent this year, all talent. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you start to, you start to get – because now you're so far – there's no more Urban Meyer influence left in your program. And you have to ask yourself, is that part of the problem? Now, a win or a really close game that goes toe-to-toe, I think eliminates a lot of that, Ryan. I think it does. Or at least it quiets it for now until next year when you – you know. You're, they're going to have a couple big games next year, Ryan. Yes. They play at Notre Dame and at Michigan next year. Ohio State does. I mean, they have to beat Michigan next year. Like, you have to. Can you imagine if they lose three yeah. straight to Michigan, man? That's Imagine if they lose Ooh. both. Oh, man. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not. It's, it's not. not. 
Because you're going to – I mean, that's, that's the other thing about Ohio State is, yes, there's talent everywhere, right? So you're going to reload to a degree. Sure. But you're losing a lot this year, man. I mean, C.J. Shroud, you're losing the two offensive tackles you talked about. You're losing Zach Harrison, who's had a solid year. You're maybe losing Tommy Eichenberg. You're going to lose maybe a safety or two. Like, there's a lot of guys. Luke Whipler might right. declare early at center. Like, you're – you might have to replace four or five offensive linemen next year, which is just insane to think about right. that. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think, but we'll see. We shall see. That's another reason I'm looking for signing today to be over so I can have my phone on silent so I don't miss <laughs> calls, important calls. All right. Uh, uh, John Erickson asks, uh, can the lack of rotation in the offensive line this year possibly lead to problems next year? I don't think so, John. I mean, look, is it a is it ideal? Heck no. They, they didn't have enough blowouts to get kids into games this year. That's a problem, but mm-hmm. it's not – a problem to the degree like when Quentin Nelson stepped into the lineup in 2015 he never played a snap of college football he was pretty good game one you know (laughs) like guys that you know we've seen this a lot right Robert Haynes he steps in and is a pretty good football player Tommy Kramer those two kids step in and and handle right tackle on a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line in 17 those kids combined for zero college snaps coming into that right if if the players Mm -hmm. are talented enough they'll be okay the other thing that helps them too, John, is they're go- they're going to be flanked on both sides by experienced guys. Yes, Zeke at center and then the tackle. So no matter who's a guard, that that's you know that's going to be part of it. So I and they're going to have all season to battle. I mm-hmm. think the only thing that could create a problem is if nobody seizes hold of the job very early. Like if we're going into the final week of camp and nobody sees hold, that's a problem. But I don't think that's going to be because they didn't get enough playing time this year. I mean. And and I would say this too, Brian. I mean, you made it. You made the point already. But if you if you get you're gonna have you're returning three starters next year. And if I can tell you, you're gonna return three starters. Having both your tackles and your center back is a pretty nice spot to be in, right? So it's not like I just mentioned Ohio State's gonna be replacing four out of five starters next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Notre Dame's gonna be replacing two out of five. So it's not a bad right. place to be in, just naturally from a numbers perspective. And again, having both tackles and your center back. There's way worse places you could be in, yeah. to say the least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Along that same lines, Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Burke says, we know that he stand likes using tackles a guard. Why isn't ba- uh, Tosh Baker considered a potential guard for next year? He's too tall, I, man. Well, the counter would be he's not that much taller than Josh Lug. The difference is, is Baker plays higher than Josh, and he's yeah. just uh, he's got a longer frame. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have the power profile that Josh. Showed. I was going to say he's a, he's a little more finesse of a football yeah. player. He's a well. pass blocker. He's, he's, an he's a tackle. Blocker. He's a tackle. Now it's, it's kind of like what we said, Ryan. If yeah. if Tosh Baker is clearly clearly one of your four or five best offensive linemen, then you need to have a serious conversation with Blake Fisher about moving inside. Mm-hmm. Where I think Blake Fisher has the tools to be a top ten draft pick at guard or tackle. Agreed. He may not believe that, but I think that's the case. I think that's the conversation you need to have. I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. I mean, Tosh is, Tosh is a junior now going to senior year. I don't, I don't know if he's going to make that type of a jump. I hope he does because he's very talented. He but is. I think that would have to be the conversation more so than than uh, moving him to guard. I just don't think – I just don't – let's – Ryan, if he was three inches shorter, mm-hmm. my answer doesn't change. Yeah. Just not I just his... don't think he fits that power profile you want How... at guard. How players fit into certain spots comes down to play style and temperament a lot too, right? Like Tosh is a kid that wins off of movement, 
wins off of length. And that's not really, that's not really a fit inside. Like Blake Fisher would be a much more natural fit inside a guard than a Tosh Baker would. Tosh Baker's a tackle. Nothing wrong with that. It just is what he is. So I, yeah, I just, I just don't think there's anything about him that screams guard to me. All right. Last couple questions we get out of here. Uh, Cole, ba- Cole uh, Barker says, any shows on the All-American Bowls? When we get closer to them, we will. I mean, the America, they're both after the bowl game, the yep. bowl game. So we're a ways away from there. We will have stuff on those. Uh, right now, the plan is for us to be there. Ryan will be at the Under Armour game. I'm going to right now be at the Army game. I'm sorry. I'm going to always call it the Army game. <laughs> so we'll have shows on those as we get closer. But right now, I mean, our recruiting shows next week are going to be geared towards the end of this week and next week are going to be geared towards signing day. We'll get into the yes. other stuff afterwards. Beef Eater says uh, he caught some flack for this, but I, I think it's a fair question. We just got to put a context to it. He says, what are the odds Bowers gets drafted before Mayer? And obviously zero this year because he's not coming out. But I do think it's fair to ask the question about next year because to me, Ryan, is there a chance that he gets drafted before Mayer? Yeah, because we don't know what the draft order will be and we don't sure. know what team's needs will be. But just because a guy gets drafted higher – doesn't mean he was better because right. there's discussion of how deep is a draft class compared to another, how much better is he than everyone else in a draft class, which creates a greater need where maybe a guy gets overdrafted. Cause if you don't take him, there's mm-hmm. not a day one or day two guy left on the board. So there's a lot of those things that go into it. But Ryan, what would you say to the potential that, that uh, Brock Bowers gets drafted before Michael Merritt when his time comes in the draft, uh, assuming that both are healthy just judging based upon how the NFL tends to evaluate the position. I, I honestly think that Brock Bowers probably goes higher than Michael Mayer. I, I value much more the all around game that a Michael Mayer brings. Cause I do think he's a better all around football player when you bring everything into the equation. But the, the matter of fact about Brock Bowers is he's going to go to the combine and he is going to run incredibly fast he's going to jump incredibly high he's going to test at an all-time level probably mm-hmm. and teams are going to lose their minds over that type of player i think it's like a kyle pitts like if we were comparing kyle pitts to michael mayer for a second right i still think michael mayer is a better all-around football player than kyle pitts but kyle pitts is a higher upside as being a a high volume receiver as far as the impact he can have as being a vertically oriented receiver in the passing game and he has better athletic traits from a just speed perspective, right? And a twitchiness perspective. So ultimately I think that Brock Bowers will be valued a little higher by the NFL because we see it every single year, right or wrong. The NFL values speed and Brock Bowers certainly has a lot of speed to his game. There's no doubt. Yeah. So yes, I think that's a good answer, Ryan. Very good answer. Very good Mm -hmm. answer. Someone someone just said ESPN said Brock Bowers blocks like an offensive lineman. Yeah, right. Somebody <laughs> said that when they did their ESPN All-American team, and I don't know if this is true or not because I uh-huh. did not see that ESPN even came out with an All-American team yet. <laughs> they said something about, like, they said he's the most complete tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, hold on. It was actually put out earlier today. I think they had Brock Bowers at tight end. Let me see here. Um, yeah, they is had it- him at tight end. And this, yeah, let's see here. He says Bowers gets the nod because not as the nation's country's most complete player at the position. Here's what he says. This is what this guy said. This is the biggest joke I've ever heard from ESPN. I I can't believe that. It's worse than I thought. He's a big play threat in the pass game, runs great routes, blocks like an offensive lineman, and can make defenders miss after the catch when the dogs hand the ball off to him. 
That is one of the most absurd things I have ever heard in my entire – like, are you watching games? Like, do you watch football at that point in time? Brock I mean, Bowers blocks like an offensive lineman. What, when he's blocking nickel corners in space? I was, I, was about, I was about to say, he's a really good stock blocker, but he doesn't block in line ever. What are you freaking <laughs> talking about? So that is the man. dumbest thing. Oh, my gosh, dude. That is so bad. Like, they're not even trying to hide their absurdity at this point. They're not. Dude. They're not. They're not even trying to hide that. Well, like, Brian, that there, is... was, there was that one game earlier in the season, which it probably led to this hyperbole, where Brock, I think, took a defensive back and put him through the end zone, and everyone just lost their minds. I'm like, guys, he's blocking a kid that's 60 pounds lighter than him. I mean, that's <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever read in my entire life. Uh... Just that is that is just terrible like some uh christopher crosby said espn said browers blocks like an offensive line i thought he was joking i thought he's being hyperbolic i thought he was like (laughs) you know oh espn says he leaps over tall buildings like you know he's just being hyperbolic they were being serious faster than a speeding that brock bowers is the most complete tight end in college football and that he blocks like an offensive that is a horrible offensive lineman if he blocks like an offensive lineman (laughs) He blocks like that Brian Driscoll dude at Cal. Like, seriously, remember Ooh. that dude that you kept making fun of, the kid with my name? He's but played center now. You're like, he's freaking terrible. He can't block anybody. Like, okay, yeah. if you're talking about that kind of offensive lineman, sure. Man, that was sure. before I even knew what his name was. I was just like, wow, 60 is awful for Cal. That was the <laughs> dumbest thing player. I've ever read in my entire life, dude. Ugh. That was terrible. Terrible. <sighs> oh, my gosh. That is bad. That is really, really bad. That's that was awful. New all timer really for ESPN right there, man. Love it. That was that was terrible. Like I can't uh-huh. I can't even take that seriously. I can't even take that seriously. That's so bad. <laughs> anyway. I'm glad I don't read ESPN for those oh reasons. I, I didn't read it. Like I didn't even know they came out with an all American list. I hadn't even seen anybody talking about it. And then so I was like, well, hold on a second. Let me just go check this out. And yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's really bad. Yeah, somebody, maybe he meant a JV high school offensive line. I mean, he, he's, he got better as a blocker this year, but, dude, he is so far away from being a good blocker. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. Ter- and he rarely blocks big guys. I know. I know, man. So, so stupid. It's really stupid. So stupid. Anyway, that's how we're ending our show today is that nonsense from ESPN. <laughs> so, anyway. I enjoyed the show up until that point in time, Ryan, very much. So I want to thank you for being with me today. Thank everybody for joining us today. Before you leave, everybody, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the CFB Nation channel on not just YouTube, but also on the CFB Nation podcast app, which you can find it, and sign up for the message boards at boards.rsbreakdown.com. Tonight, 6 o'clock, IB Nation Sports Talk, and then Ryan and I will be back tomorrow. We're going to talk a little bit about the defense and what we kind of want to see from the Notre Dame defense heading into the bowl game. So until then, have a great rest of your day. Enjoy tonight's show at 6 o'clock, IB Nation Sports Talk, and we'll see you guys again very soon, guys and gals, very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.